Welcome back to another episode of Healthy You, the podcast all about improving the minds, bodies, wallets, and communities of RTX employees. I'm your host, JT, and today in the studio, I've got Tillman mixing and tweaking the mics and music over there. Hi, Tillman. And of course, it wouldn't be a Healthy You podcast without my co-host, DJ. Nice, uh, nice party hat you got there, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's... It's always a big day when we have a special guest on the show. Just excited. And I um, I see you're also wearing a tie. Yeah. Uh, which is confusing because our guest will be joining us by phone. Well, you know what they say, JT. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Okay, well, I'm not sure what that means or even if it <laughs> applies to this situation, but you are correct in your level of excitement for today's show because today... We begin getting ready for RTX Healthy Mind Day, which coincides with World Mental Health Day. And we thought, what better way to do that than to welcome back the thunder from down under, Dr. Andrew <laughs> Chate, the co-founder and chief knowledge officer of Mequilibrium. Welcome to the show, doctor. It's always such a pleasure to be here with the two of you, DJ JT. How are you doing? Good to see you guys. We are doing well, and it's always a pleasure to have you on. I feel like we're old friends now. And uh, we've done this a couple times, so we know the answer to this question, but we get new listeners every day. So let's start off with the most basic question that I can ask, and that is, what is Mequilibrium? Well, indeed, firstly, we are old friends and getting older by the minute. Um, <laughs> but at its core, the MeQ program is a resilience-building app. Now, that, I know that sounds like... A big claim, but um, I've come to believe across the course of my career that resilience is the most foundational and essential quality for us all to have. And beginning in 2009-10 with our great CEO, Jan Bruce, um, she and I and Adam Perlman co-founded the company. And what we wanted to do was to create an app that would make getting more resilient easy. So people come into the app, they take a questionnaire, it gives them their profile across 18 factors that matter in terms of resilience and sends them into a tightly customized skills journey where they can begin to boost those aspects of resilience. So you said the word resilience quite a bit there. And when DJ and I researched some of these podcasts, we've We've read a lot about resiliency, and we see so many times where people make being resilient synonymous with being in the moment or being mentally tough or, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and having a relentless focus. But is that really what resilience is? I actually think that's what resilience does. I think that's what resilient people do, but I don't think it is what resilience is. And you're right. We have been hearing this R word for a few decades now relentlessly and it's almost become meaningless because resilience seems to be applied to absolutely everything these days and we all know that it's important but there aren't that many concrete solutions that help us get better at it um, and i started out my career in this area 31 years ago and one of the first things that we realized we needed to do was to tightly define what resilience is because then and only then when you've distilled down all of the essential ingredients of resilience, can you go about boosting it? I don't know how to boost mental toughness or relentless focus or bouncing back or steering through. But once I get out the essential ingredients, and I know exactly how to measure it and how to develop skills to boost it and how to make sure that those programs we developed are effectively boosting those those aspects of resilience. Yeah, and looking at how Miku deals with resilience, um, there were, 
I think it's seven core factors to being a resilient person. Is that right? Can you can you tell us a little bit more about those core factors? Yeah, and you know we do measure on eighteen, and I know that you guys know this, um, but seven of them are absolutely core to the concept of resilience. And the first is emotion control, that capacity to stay calm under pressure. Now, we know that there are thinking styles, habits we develop in how we think that pull us away from emotion control. But I'm going to tell you that that's really the base of the pyramid. Unless we can get people to calm, it's going to be very difficult for them to boost the other aspects of resilience. And with everything that's going on in our worlds, um, that capacity to stay calm is being sorely tested. So that's a really fundamental one. I also have focus or impulse control. You know, there have been some great studies done on this, uh, even, even back to the 1970s, the old marshmallow study, which many of your listeners will know about, where eight-year-old kids were brought into a room, offered a single marshmallow, told that this was their marshmallow. If they wanted to eat it now, that was fine. But the researchers were going to leave the room and... Uh, when they came back, if the marshmallow was still there, they give them a second one. So it's a test of impulse control. And a lot of these kids couldn't resist. They picked up the marshmallow. Uh, they ate it. Um, a lot of the kids, you know, they poked at it, tried to resist. One kid, just priceless, looks around. No one's looking, picks it up, licks it, puts it back down. But all the researchers did was just note which kids had the impulse control and the focus to stay on goal. And what they found was that 10 years later, when they're 18, they're doing better on GPA, college entrance scores, parent-teacher, peer ratings of their behavior. So it's a big one. And we all know that problem solving is an essential part of resilience, right? But the key is to find out what aspects of a problem you can control and what you can't and channel your energies into what you can. We've also known that self-confidence, self-efficacy is a really important piece of the resilience puzzle. Just something for uh, the three of us and our listener, your listeners to reflect on. Across the course of the pandemic, those people who came in to that situation with good self-efficacy experienced one-eighteenth of the increase in stress of those who didn't have good self-efficacy. And when push came to shove, it came down to the fact that people were looking backwards and saying, have I been through anything like this? Do I have any skills that I developed back then that I could apply now? And those that found them did better. We know that realistic optimism and positivity is key. And I know we're going to spend some more time talking about that. We know that empathy is important because people build social um, bonds that they can rely on when times are tough. And then finally, having that reaching out growth mindset, capacity for change, I believe that ingredient of resilience is going to be a key differentiator into the future. So once we distilled out these seven way, way back when dinosaurs ruled the earth in the mid to late 90s, then we knew we had a competency model of resilience that we could go about building. Okay, now I'm just looking around the studio wondering which one of us would have eaten the marshmallow? Hmm. No, it's definitely me. I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually eating the marshmallow right now. I, I definitely would not have been able to resist. Yeah, when I said I was looking around the room, I was just kind of looking at you, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. Sorry, there you go. <laughs> so one reason we like talking to you so much, Dr. Chate, is that you have some really good insight on the RTX employee population. You've seen some numbers, and you can really tell us how MeQ helps the RTX employee population directly. You know, what are we good at? What do we need to work on? So 
From what I've read, RTX employees do really well when it comes to emotion control and stress management. But what do we need to work on? Well, you know, RTX, I've had the great honor of working with this organization for a very long time. And you people are special and what you do is unique. Your contribution to our nation is very noteworthy. And you're in a tough industry, so you're going to be tough people. And that's exactly what we see. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, really good on emotion control and stress management. If you're going to choose a couple to be good at, these are the ones. Um, but we see some opportunity for improvement on some of the aspects of resilience like empathy and positivity. Now, the empathy piece, I can say there's a clear explanation for that. You're in a chop and churn industry. And whenever you are in that kind of industry, that you know, with all due respect to these folks, it's not library science that you're involved in. It's a lot of chop and a lot of churn and a lot of change, change transformational level change. Um, our work shows that when people are put into that mill, um, empathy is the first to go, the first of these uh, factors to, uh, to sort of wither away. So that's understandable, but it's still something you want to note and you want to try to boost it. And the other one is positivity. Now, I think that's a little more serious because over the last three plus years with the pandemic, uh, we've lost a lot of positivity. And, you know, these negatively wired brains of ours have gone hyper negative. That's something that we want to try to boost here, positivity. Okay, so when you say positivity, um, I think it's a lot like what we talked about with resiliency. It's it's a word people say, but maybe we don't really know what it means. Being positive is more than just saying glass half full or you know rose colored glasses or look on the bright side, right? It's It's more than that. Absolutely. Truth in advertising, I'm not a very touchy-feely person. And so when I was doing research with my colleagues on what makes up resilience and how do we boost it, I was looking at it through a pretty hard lens. I believe that positivity is important, optimism is important, but it has to be reality-based. We know that people who are overly pessimistic don't do well. And that makes all the sense in the world um, because they're predicting their own demise and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But people who are overly optimistic aren't doing well either. Often they don't see the need to problem solve. Uh, and sometimes they just don't see threats that are coming their way. So realistic optimism and positivity, not the rose-colored glasses, are, it, it is really the essential piece here. The problem, though, is that human beings on average have a negativity bias. And this is what we need to try to reverse. Negativity bias is super interesting to me. And, you know, sometimes I feel like that's just how most people are wired. Yeah, you know, we are wired. Our brains are wired to look more for negative outcomes, scan for those than for positive. And we actually end up feeling so-called negative emotions more fully than we do the positive, and that really is the negativity bias. Now, there's a lot of survival value in that. I often talk about, let's go, you know, go back a few million years, and we've got throg and dreg, you know, early cave people. Um, throg is very positive, ebullient, everyone likes him, um, but he's not very good at looking out for threat. So when that saber-toothed tiger comes along, you know, he, he falls victim. Whereas Drag is always expecting the worst, always scanning every situation for what could go wrong, always looking for the saber-toothed tiger in the, in the brush. And so he survives. 
And that means that, you know, because of this much more survival value in scanning for the negative, we're all overloaded with it. And the problem is um, that we're no longer living in a world of saber-toothed tigers. We've got everyday threats coming and hitting us. But if we get bogged down in this negativity, it, it becomes problematic. And when we go through trauma, and I think of the last three plus years as being a series of traumatic events, then this brain that's already negatively wired goes hyper-negative. And that puts us at real risk for burnout because if we're not injecting a realistic measure of positivity in our lives, we are going to burn out. So if that negativity bias is something that we really need to counter. And just one example of that, you know, if I were to say to you and your listeners, when was the last time you felt overwhelmed with frustration, many of them would probably say, well, when you started talking. But if I were to say, when was the last time you were overwhelmed with contentment? The question doesn't even really make sense for us because we don't get overwhelmed with the good stuff. We get overwhelmed with the bad stuff. And yet frustration is an emotion that pops when we have thoughts that we don't have the resources we need. And contentment is an emotion that pops when we have thoughts that we do have the resources that we need. There's nothing superior inherently about frustration over contentment, except that our negatively biased brains make it so. So we need to get practiced at seeing the positivity in a realistic measure and feeling those positive emotions as fully as we do the negative. So after hearing you say that, I guess my question is, are we just stuck? Like, can we change our brains or is it that, you know, uh, we've lived this long, I'm 43 years old, is my brain just what it is? Are we able to change the way our brain works? I think that the answer to that depends on the research that you read. I tend to be a pessimist. I don't think we can really change that fundamental wiring. Um, am, Am I going to be able to, in a three minute skill, overcome 43 years of learning? I don't think so. But I don't think we need to. I think because we're smart, a smart species, that we can alert people to the traps that they're falling into, such as the negativity bias, show them what a negative influence it has in their lives, show them that it's highly avoidable by just taking a few skills a day to counteract that tendency. So my my tendency may still be to go negative, but I've got a bunch of compensatory skills at my disposal that I can prevent myself from going all the way down that really bad pathway. I think that's easier to do. I think it's easier to use for people. And I think it's equally effective. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But, and here's the question, how do we actually do it? How do we fight against this built-in negativity bias? And that's the beauty of this. It sounds daunting, but it's not. As long as we really stick at something and practice it every day or at least every other day. And there are a number of different skills at MeQ that people can use to start to rewire, to get more balanced, um, to not go down that negative pathway so readily and so quickly. And I think one of them, for example, is just the power of sharing one good thing. Now, we encourage people in teams to do that because how often in our teams are we putting out the spot fires Are we looking at where we fell short, where we went over budget, over time, and we're not really talking about those wins. 
So we're sitting there with a, a lot of loss and a lot of negativity, but we're not spending as much time celebrating the victories. We need to make sure that we're being balanced there. And that could just be acknowledging someone's contribution to a project and making sure that it's a part of that weekly team meeting or daily team meeting, or whatever it might be. And we could also do this in our own heads. So often at the end of the day, I'll ask myself, hey, look, I had to go through a whole bunch of bad stuff today, but surely there was something good in there. And I don't want my negatively biased brain to erase the good um, just because that's what my brain tends to do. So I'll think of one, two, three things that happened that were good. And I might even go about creating a couple of good things at the end of the day, like reaching out to a friend or a loved one. So I can have even just a two minute conversation to round out the day. This is something that we can do in our families. If that's relevant to your listeners, you know, I've got a wonderful 17 year old daughter and a wonderful 11 year old son. And from the time they could speak, I made them do this activity much to their chagrin. So at the end of the day, we'd sit around the dining room table, my wife and two kids and I, and we would each share one good thing that happened. Now, I I don't know about you guys, but I find that rewards in parenting are relatively few and far between. But a couple of years ago, my then 15-year-old daughter came to me and said, you know that stupid activity you've made us do forever? I actually think that had a positive impact. I think I'm a pretty negative person, and I think that that made me rethink stuff. And here's what I know. I know that it wasn't in the telling of the good thing. It wasn't even in the finding of the good thing. It's that both my kids knew as soon as their feet hit the floor in the morning, that by day's end, they better have found something positive to tell the old man. And that meant they were scanning for something positive to tell, which was just creating a little counterweight against that negative bias. So these are simple things that we can do. They don't take a lot of energy. They don't take a lot of time, but they make a really big difference. Okay. So the power of sharing obviously is really powerful. As you mentioned, um, you kind of walked us through the technique for that. But there are actually many other types of those skills available through MeQ, right? That's just one of them. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a multifaceted approach to this. We know that sometimes people only have a minute to spare. So we'll provide them with a quick skill or activity that they can do. Uh, We also know that sometimes people have two to three minutes. So they can watch a video on the negative bias, negativity bias, and how to get around it. And sometimes people may have even a little bit more time than that. may have five to ten minutes. They can get a little deeper, take a look at the sort of emotion radars that lead them into their habitual negative emotion. For me, it's anger. For others, it's anxiety or frustration, sadness, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. Help them understand that often their thinking styles are driving them into these emotions for no good reason or exaggerating a situation and amplifying that emotion in ways that can rock their emotion control and really get in the way of their energy. And we need energy going into the future. Self-care and energy is going to be a differentiator. So there's so many different things that are on offer in the MeQ program, depending on what suits your particular style, how much time you have to devote and what your specific need might be. Um, So one thing that RTX needs to work on is positivity. And I know it would be awesome if across the board, every single person puts in a ton of effort and tries to grow their positive outlook. But it can also start with just one person, right? One person in the office or at the plant, their positivity can help spread to those around them and, um, you know, really take advantage of that uh, positivity halo effect, right? Yeah, there absolutely is. 
both within the individual and the capacity for that positivity to spread to others. So if you just look at an individual person who's out there trying to do some of these positivity activities, we find that when people come into the MeQ program and we measure them in a whole range of different things, we find that if they are above the mean on positivity, they're also above the mean on things like you know productivity and performance, resilience, optimism, hope, physical health behaviors, burnout prevention, perception of work-life balance, the balance of good versus bad events in their lives, just really across the board. And if they're below the median on positivity, they're below the median on all of those things as well. And what we find is if people just spend a couple of minutes a day trying to develop that positivity without even trying to impact those other things, those those boats get floated as well. So people who just do the positivity exercise also show improvement on their perception of work-life balance, their physical health behaviors, quality of sleep, all the things I just mentioned. And that's just for that person. But we know that negative emotions can be very contagious. The two most contagious negative emotions are frustration and anxiety. And you've seen that around the proverbial water cooler, right? Once someone talks about how they don't have the resources they need or they're worried about the future, that's going to spread through an organization like wildfire. But what we think about less is that some of these positive emotions can too. So if you have one person in a team who's just projecting a little more positivity, it's gonna catch on and it can spread, maybe not as virally as the negative stuff does because of our brain wiring, but it can spread throughout the organization. And I think this is sort of my infomercial around why it's worth it to practice a little more positivity to get more balance. Because once you do that, it has a positive impact on all aspects of your life, or at least many. It's going to have a really positive impact on your colleagues as well. And you're going to see that difference. You know what? I, for one, I'm going to try to spread some positivity around the office. You know, I'm going to start Dr. Chate by telling you what a valuable tool I think MeQ is for employees at RTX. And I think it's a really important piece of RTX Healthy Mind Day, which, you know, is what kind of brought us to talking to you today. So uh, back to that for you, Dr. Chate, why is it important to have a day globally set aside to really think about people's healthy minds? Well, firstly, I think that an organization that pays attention to this um, is on the right side of history. And not every organization is. And I'm finding it dividing into two. So those organizations are actually paying attention and raising that awareness. They are going to do better into the future. And and there are organizations, unfortunately, um, unlike RTX, that are emerging as being on the wrong side of history. And here's another reason why I think it's super duper important. Prior to the pandemic, burnout rates in our global organizations ran at around three to 10%, depending on what was happening in the organization at the time. Obviously, if there's big reorgs, chop and change, that burnout rate goes up. But three to 10%. But during the course of the pandemic and still today, we are seeing well um, reputation polls from Gallup and other organizations showing us that two-thirds to 70% of people are experiencing significant symptoms of burnout. And we're seeing clinical depression, clinical anxiety on the rise. So it is essential 
that we start paying attention to this. This isn't sort of a fringe issue anymore. We're all in the same big boat, me included. I'm the resilience guy, but I found myself feeling tired, exhausted, burnt out. Uh, We need to re-energize. We need that energy for the future. And days like this, when we're actually raising awareness about having healthy minds, are are critical. And, And as I mentioned, it's gonna be a differentiator going into the future. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Chate, for joining us to celebrate this RTX Healthy Mind Day. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks so much for joining. DJ JT, it's always a pleasure to be involved anytime, and it's always a pleasure to be associated with an organization like RTX. Thank you, and we'll talk again soon for sure, I know. Um, you know, JT, as Dr. Chate said earlier, RTX employees who are using MeQ see an improvement in positivity and overall resilience. So, you know, we know it's working. So if you're a US-based listener, not including Puerto Rico, and you're like, I want in on that, you can access MeQ by going to getmeq.com slash Raytheon Technologies. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, hold on one second. One second. Tillman has okay. sounded the alarm over there, and uh, he's oh, handing me okay. a little Sounds note important. here. So effective January 1st, 2024, that URL will actually be changing to getmeq.com slash RTX. So make a note of that in your calendars. Slash Raytheon Technologies right now changing to slash rtx on january 1st okay i got it i'm to my calendar i'm good excellent note tillman way to be on top (laughs) of things uh you can also find a link to meq on your gateway or the healthy you incentive site so plenty of ways to get there Um, and if you're a global employee visit the global well-being site for updated well-being activities each month and even some specific activities for RTX Healthy Mind Day. And of course, if you want to learn more about any of the resources RTX offers to support your healthy mind, body, wallet, and communities, check out the same website where you found these podcasts, rtxhealthyu.com. And until next time, happy RTX Healthy Mind Day, and here's to a healthy you.